Good Tuesday, everyone. Welcome to the BallQuest.com podcast with Rob Lewis, Austin Price, and Jesse Simonton. Brent Hubbs, glad to have you along with us on this Tuesday as Tennessee gets ready for UAB. We'll talk much more about the Blazers throughout the week, but that is a UAB team that is 6-1 on the year, 3-1 in Conference USA play, averaging 29 points a game. Uh, they've been effective. They haven't played the greatest schedule, but uh, certainly uh, present some various challenges for Tennessee. But Tennessee internally with their own set of challenges coming off the 41-21 win over South Carolina, starting with the health of this football team and starting at quarterback. It seems like we've been talking about quarterback play and the quarterbacks all season long. <clears throat> Jeremy Pruitt now says he might play three quarterbacks on Saturday. <laughs> I then, joked about Sprayer in my column. I know, and that everybody <laughs> might be ready. What, what do you, if you're Jim Chaney and you're Jeremy Pruitt, how do you manage this week with your quarterbacks? If, if indeed Jared can, can take snaps, and if Brian Maurer is indeed going to be healthy and get working at the end of the week, how do you manage putting a plan together and getting things ready? What I mean, do you do with the quarterback? If it's me, Garantano doesn't work except as your emergency guy. I mean, I, I mean, I know it's his non-throwing hand and everything, but still, you got to feel like if he takes a shot on it, it's going to be worse. I mean, he's going to have a screw in there. Uh, you know, I, I know it'll probably be heavily wrapped, hard cast, all that. But I mean, it's just it's not worth the risk, especially now that if Maurer is back, as Jeremy said today, and now that you know that Trout's serviceable. See, I feel like if they're playing, if they're going to play multiple, I think it's going to be JG plus Maurer. That's this is that's my opinion as we start this week, based on how they operated on Saturday, where it was clear that the reason that JG didn't start was because even though Jeremy had that fantastic answer last Wednesday about you know. I love our fans, and they're not going to boo and whatever. They're going to boo when South Carolina's defense <laughs> takes the field. It certainly seemed like the way that that plan was, they started Shrout and had the Wildcat stuff early just to kind of slowly ease into the game, and then they wanted to put Jarrett in. And they were going to ride Jarrett, it looked like, until he got hurt. And so, Well, why would you not? I mean, he played well. 100%. He played really 100%, well. But, I mean, but I just think that that would – I think that if they play two, it'll be Jarrett and Maurer. And if Mauer's if Mauer's ready, and if not, then uh, you know may, maybe it's it's just the Brian Mauer show. It's interesting because you know we we talked about JT Shroud and you know based on what <coughs> everybody had said about uh, said to us about him all season long and some of the things that he had not done well yeah. on the practice field, including late last week before Tennessee played. He goes out goes seven of eleven for 122 yards and a touchdown. 55 of that coming on one play, I get all that. But he certainly exceeded what I thought he could do. How much more confidence do you think Jim Chaney has in J.T. Shrout managing a game based on what, what he got done? And, and, you know, lining up and playing with him and, and playing winning football with him based on what you saw Saturday. I mean, you know, for, for the last six weeks, you know, Harrison Bailey has been built up as the saver of Tennessee football because you, you felt like you had nothing in the quarterback room. But, now, you know, now, you got, now you got folks tweeting, deepest quarterback room in the SEC. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, again, like the, the, no, just the perception. The I know, but I mean, the perception of that room, though, has drastically changed because, you know, Maurer comes in, makes some plays, gives them a spark. He gets knocked out, and Shrout comes in, and, you know, everybody in the program's worried to death about it because he can't get them in and out of plays in practice. And, you know, I mean, he, he did – you know some really good things and some of that's Jim Chaney setting him up for things that he, he's really good at throwing the deep ball um, you know but a couple of times Brent he climbed the pocket and, and you know got you know got short passes out to guys on the move and I mean I, 
I, he played much better than I thought he would play. The smartest thing they did was how they eased him into the game, though, I, I thought. In terms of worrying about the procedural stuff and the operation stuff, how do you solve that? They rotated him early with Juwan. And so even though Jeremy joked about it on Monday about calling a play from the sideline and running in, you know, and, and telling the quarterback what it's going to be like it was in high school football, that's essentially what Tennessee did on its first two drives. You look at that play-by-play, it would be Juwan for a play or two, Shrout for a play. Juwan for a play or two, Shrout for a play. And – I think they allowed him to kind of get his feet wet a little bit, gain a little confidence. And then, again, as I had in my review piece, I think the game totally changed just in terms of an offensive identity standpoint on Saturday. On that drive, ironically, that they got stopped at the one-yard line, they converted several third and longs, and they realized we can, we can pass block against these guys. They, cannot, they are not going to pressure our quarterback. And so Cheney was able to, even when J.G. got knocked out, continue calling deep shots. Uh, for a guy who clearly, you know, has probably as, as good an arm talent as anyone on the team. It's interesting, Rob, that what Jim Cheney has been able to kind of piece together here the last month managing the three quarterbacks. It's almost like he got better when he had to to, to, to manage different quarterbacks. It, you know what I'm saying? It, yeah. It's almost like his his game plans were were much tighter. That they didn't it, you know didn't give quarterback as much freedom. Put it more on himself and less on the 11 guys on the field it's out there. It's almost like when you go to a restaurant that, that has like six things on the menu that they all they do they, they do them all really well as opposed to Cheesecake Factory where it's just a bunch of, you know, Cisco frozen items. Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad you agree with me on the Cheesecake Factory. Yeah, Newfound respect for so, all right. Yeah, it's like going, I mean, you know, maybe it's just a mom and pop, but they do six things on the, they do them all really well. And, and I kind of think that's, a, that's an analogy that fits Tennessee off, Tennessee's offense. And I think it's also kind of what you wrote about in the 3-2-1 on Monday, that they're running the ball. You know, they're, not, they're not steamrolling people, but they're running it well enough where defenses have to respect it. They have to play it. They can't ignore it. And that, you know, that just opens up a lot of stuff in the passing game that, you know, frankly, I don't, you know, I don't, how much was Georgia worried about Tennessee running the football? I, I don't think a lot. I mean, by the second half against Georgia State even, how much were they worried about Tennessee running the football? So I think – Really, just getting some more consistency on the ground, where teams have, have, you know, they're not scared. They're not scared of Tennessee, but they got to respect them. I think that's really helped the quarterback play. Jesse, do you think do you think Cheney's limited? Do you think he's pared stuff down pretty significantly to to, to kind of isolate what they can do offensively and and make it make it easier for the players? Do you think they're? I mean, I know they experimented a ton with George in the Georgia State game. We've talked about that. They had too much stuff going in there. But do you think? As the season's gone on, it, it's it's him getting dialed into what he has. Is it him paring things down to where they're, he's asking his players to execute less than what they were doing earlier? What, what do you what do you make the adjustment to the Tennessee offense? Is it just offensive line play I was better? Say, to, to me, to me, it all circles back to the fact that Will Friend's unit is playing um, as good a football in terms of the <coughs> offensive line as we've seen around here since you know they had Kamara and Hurd were running behind that group that was pushing the pile with Dobbs. I mean, I just think that you, you look back at, at some of those pockets that they had to throw. I mean, Jarrett got killed on the one where, where Jameer didn't uh, block anybody and they slid the protection and he, he just messed up there. But other than that, I mean, these guys were able to just stand back there, whether Tennessee was in max protection, five-man protections, um, and, and they just had time to throw it. And so I do think that, that that gives an offensive coordinator confidence where he had both man and zone beaters. J.C. Horn, former Tennessee commit, said after the game, you know, they, they called some great calls against us, and they did, and you see it. I mean, the, South Carolina had no answer for when Tennessee went bunch 
um, in terms of running across the formations. Uh, and so I don't know how much has actually been pared down because I think you could say with the Wildcat and some of the stuff they're doing in the running game, they've probably actually sprinkled in more elements than they had even against Georgia State. Maybe not as much motion and, and window dressing as they had then. Um, but I think it all kind of just circles back to the fact that the offensive line's playing better. They lost Darnell Wright. Wande goes in and out. Jameer, they didn't really miss a beat. I mean, Marcus Tatum had a bad hold and, and had an, another couple plays that weren't great. But he was more than serviceable on Saturday against a good uh, defensive line. Jameer played well outside of the one play that <laughs> nearly got JG killed. <coughs> I think it circles all back to that. Yeah, there's certainly – I mean, look, Trey Smith – I mean, Ken, Ken Law had one tackle in the game. It, yeah, go look at that draw. I mean, it's in my I mean, review. Go look at the draw play where he just – Trey Smith just sits on him. Yeah. I mean, and that happened multiple times where he just pancaked a guy that's going to be a top 15, 20 NFL draft pick. I mean, Trey Smith's making money every Saturday, in my opinion, with the way he's playing right now. I know there's going to be the medical questions, but suddenly NFL teams are, are much more interested in getting the answer to the medical questions because of how well Trey's playing, whereas a month ago well, again, it was like, yeah, he's got medical issues. Again, you know? the dude hadn't played in so long. I think it's taken him – it took him the first month to even get his, kind of get his feet underneath him, you know, get into you know, playing shape, you know, because, I mean, you can't practice. I mean, like, yeah, I mean, I think the last four games have been the rule – more than the exception. I think the first four games were the exception, just being rusty. Yeah, well, he's certainly getting better every week. I, I don't think there's any any denying that, any question about that. Rob, I, I've mentioned this a couple of times, and Jesse and I talked about it heading to the car Saturday night as we left the stadium. How big of a deal is it that Jim Chaney's going against guys that he's got a book on that he knows well? Now, they have a book on him, but I thought it was interesting. Will Muschamp said in his postgame on the deep ball to Callaway. Well, we know he wanted to throw the over route or a different route there. We had that covered because we know that's what like Jim Cheney likes to do. And it became a different route for a touchdown. I mean, how much is Tennessee benefiting from Cheney's knowledge I mean, of the I league? I think it helps, but, I mean, you said it. I mean, it's not like, you know, Muschamp hasn't you know, played against him before or you know, Bob Shoup hadn't played against him before. I mean, I, I mean, I guess it may be, you know, who's better at their job? Because, I mean, I wouldn't think that – I wouldn't say Tennessee out-talented South Carolina. Now, they probably did on, on the perimeter with, with Juwan and Mark West, but certainly I wouldn't say that about the, you know, in the trenches. I mean, I, I, think, I think that's the, the story of the game. And I know Jesse you know, mentioned it. We talked about it in the press box. But that's, that's what a $1.5 million offensive coordinator looks like out there. I mean, cobbling together something with one quarterback who was on the trash heap a week ago, one guy who – what did Shrock completed? Two of nine passes, four of 11 passes. I mean, so, I mean like, Coming into you, the game. You, yeah. Then you throw for 351 yards and, and, and three touchdowns and score 41. I mean, they got two special teams touchdowns. That helped. But still, 41 points is 41 points, and that's the most they scored in two years. Yeah. I just go back to something that Jarrett said that we ended up ultimately la- – it became a laughing quote, uh, much like Pruitt's Titanic deal when you lose to Georgia State and BYU. But to your point about the kind of the experience that Chaney has in this league, yeah, there's absolutely a book on Jim Chaney too, but he has answers. And unlike Tyson Helton. Goes back to, your, to, yes. to the Garantano quote about yes, he's he got goes, the answers. He, he, JG talking about this summer, he's got answers. And, and, that's, and that's kind of was the story on Saturday. Whatever Will threw out there, zone beaters, cover, you know, Chaney had an answer for it. And, and Tennessee was able to kind of, 
uh, pick them apart, run the ball ju effectively just enough. You know, they only had a long gain of 15, but they were able to kind of grind out some yardage. As you know, Jeremy was kind of lamenting some penalties that I think stymied the driver too. But otherwise, I mean, it was the offense, and then obviously the defense really got going and, and, and flying in the football there. And, in the and offensively, half. I mean, I think we've all said something about this to one degree or another, but the, the, the inconsistent spotty play quarterback is hamstrung in the fact that you've not been able to take advantage of the best talent on your team, which is, you know, a couple of NFL caliber wide receivers, and they've been so bad at being able to get the ball to. I mean, you saw, I mean, Juwan made two, I mean, NFL plays. I mean, the one where he ran over three guys on the way for a 48-yard touchdown. The, you know, the, the Jared's last throw of the game for the touchdown. Callaway makes that incredible catch on the sideline. And I mean, Tennessee's just been so bad under center they haven't been able to get those guys involved. And I mean, I, I think that's a that's a big reflection of what happened Saturday was you know being able to get the ball to to, to your two best offensive players. How much money would you guys have before we get to defense specifically? How much money would you guys have lost in a bet if you just said? The greatest contributions at the tight end position this year are going to be their ability to block. <laughs> with, with well, I bet the under. I bet the under before the season that they that, that you everyone, bet the under on the number of catches. I give you that. Yeah, you didn't. Not you didn't zero. It, you I didn't, didn't say flip it around zero. and say Dominic Wood Anderson's going to become a really good, a really effective that blocker. Is, for that Tennessee. is absolutely I mean, true. I'm gonna, I'm, that I'll is give you some true. love, but I'm not giving you all that love. <laughs> that now. is absolutely Easy. true. But every, but everyone's saying that DWA was going to be this team's like. Dynamo weapon. I did not see that, but both of those guys, and I gave them kudos in, in the review piece because on film, it, it it really popped out. I mean, they, Tennessee left them on an island multiple times, and they stoned defensive lineman or outside linebacker in terms of pass protection. The Pope's crackback block at the goal line. Uh, you know, Jordan arguably probably should have gotten in there. Um, I mean, that was they were effective on Saturday, and they both had a hold and whatever. But I mean, they were effective, and that was without. A single reception. It, it's it's those guys blocking, coupled with the fact the offensive line is just infinitely better. And I mean, I really, I know one thing. If I was Jeremy Pruitt, I would be whether whether Brandon Kennedy wanted to come back for a sixth year or not. I'd be filling out the paperwork trying to talk him into it because the way he's been playing up front, coupled with the way Trey's playing. I mean, Wanye moving to right tackle and 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 holding his own. You know, I. I, I, how can you not be impressed with what Will Friend and I mean a lot of people will give Jim Chaney a lot of credit on that but I think Will's done a really good job with that offensive line and then flip it to the defensive side while Tracy Rockers got out of the defensive lineman continues to impress me as well. Well they've created an, an identity on offense in the trenches okay Jim Chaney, Will Friend they've created an identity uh, of physicality. Jerome Carvin Maybe they should have found him week one, week two, arguably. that you know, There's no doubt about that. He brings a physical element to the right guard position that they were lacking. Okay, That was a position that was a, of, of detriment to Tennessee early in the year, regardless of who they put in there. Carvin has brought something to the table there. I am impressed with the fact that a freshman can flip sides in a game. He struggled his first three snaps at right tackle bad. But then once he got his kind of got his footwork down, sort of got it in his brain on how to function there, one day did did a solid did a solid job there. Um, I just go back to Pope, and I mean, you, just kind of where he was coming out of high school, Austin. You know him at a high, you know you knew him at high school. He thought he was going to be this receiver. It wasn't about blocking for next for, Jason Witten. That's what he said last week. For his role to be on this team to be basically the sixth lineman or the lead fullback or whatever, and to embrace it the way he has, 
kudos to Brian Niedermeyer and, and kudos to Austin Pope for buying in to, to oh. that being the system. That's yeah, the way I mean, you get on because the it, when he was at Sevier County, he, he split out. When he was at CAK, he was split out. Even a year ago, the dude was, was laid up, you know, couldn't, couldn't lift his foot hardly. He's still like the bionic man out there. He's got every band, tape, <laughs> pat, you know, arm wrap, leg yeah. wrap. wrap. He's J.J. Peterson <laughs> lead, lead, lead the team in, in embracing. Yeah. But at least Pope's playing, right? You call him the Sean Livingston of, uh, of, of Tennessee football. There you go. Um, you know, I, hey, I mean, it's true, though. I mean, like that back surgery did a world of uh, good for him. And, I mean, just a, a guy that, you know, struck, he could not get through a practice last year at times. And, and he was, you know, very much bought in, did not miss any days in fall camp, has been, you know, really, really good. And just a guy that's done everything. I keep waiting on Chaney to reward him with some type of, you know, some type of, you know, play that kind of gets him out there on an island. You know, remember, was it was, well, it, part was of the, it last year or two years ago when he fumbled the Florida, bar? Last Florida. Year. Yeah, okay. You know, I expect something like that at some point this well, year. Well, part of how well designed that Callaway uh, play was, the first play out of the, the first half, that didn't go for the touchdown with a big 48-yard play. The one play, where JG was, the, was late with the ball. Yeah, the, it was the, the the defense got sucked in on the tight end running a deep crosser. Now, it wasn't Pope. It was DWA, but that was, again, I mean, that was some of that eye candy where you have the defense flowing one way, but you got one-on-one -on -one against your best receiver against a safety who they picked on the whole night. Yeah, they did. I thought South Carolina's secondary was slow. I, I, I mean, I – you know, I can see why a lot of the reputation for them is they like to grab and hold. You know, at the line of scrimmage when they're press coverage because they have a hard time. They have a hard time running with people. I think they're a little bit banged up back there too. But they had a hard time running with Tennessee. Um, and, the, and the Vols picked on our boy Jamie Robinson a little bit, freshman. Yeah, he, he got he got his head turned around a couple times. All right, let's flip it to Tennessee's defense. Jeremy Pruitt not happy. He was not happy at the half. He was not happy again on Monday talking about the first half. What's Tennessee got to do better defensively in the first half? It seems like their adjustments were, were good. Now, Alabama's not fair to say because they had two in the first half, and obviously they changed offensively, which made Tennessee's defense better in the second half. But, but Tennessee has been a little bit – I mean, obviously they gave up a 75-yard play on the first play of the game for a touchdown here, but they've given up some opening drives. Teams have moved the ball on them some in the first quarter. What, 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 what do you think is going on with them that – that they need to tighten up in the first half? I, I don't know the answer to that. I, w I was impressed with the way they were the way they were able to tighten up in the second half. I mean, I think that's a real – I mean, cause it, it's, it's, it's a reversal of what we were seeing earlier in the year where they were, you know, when they went into halftime, other people were making adjustments to what they were seeing and then Tennessee was getting bludgeoned in the second, second half. half. And, yeah. I mean, I, and I think, I, I think that's a kind of a not been talked about a lot aspect of this team, but the way they they responded in the second half. I mean, against Mississippi State, and especially on Saturday, shutting out South Carolina, a team that's able to take those halftime adjustments, you know, not just hear them, but then take them to the field and execute. I mean, I think that speaks to like a lot of maturity. A lot of guys are used to the system, and they're doing it without what you know two of their best you know defensive linemen didn't play with Bumpus. Middle gets gets ejected. I mean, I thought that was really impressive. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, as you think about it and, and kind of talk about it. I, I get that, that, that Jeremy Pruitt wasn't happy with the way his team played in the first half, but um, one of them was an amazing catch, and yeah. the other one, and the other one was the first play of the game, which they then corrected. And that was just a great design by McClendon and it's Carolina's offense. I mean, they run they a bunch, bunch to the to the boundary side. They motion out there. Tennessee's linebackers and safeties get confused. 
you see a linebacker dart towards the guy in the backfield. McCullough bites on the play fake. And, then, I mean, and that should have been a 30, 40-yard gain, and Nigel takes a bad angle, and so it's a 75-yard touchdown. Other than that, I thought, you know, they, South Carolina had one good drive. Uh, certainly the drive at the end of the half, that probably should have been a field goal attempt. But, again, that was just an incredible catch by Brian Edwards. And so you look at it then, the defensive performance well, isn't as bad. Isn't as I mean, bad as Jeremy wants to make it out yeah, to Yeah, and, and, and Feaster, you know, the, he, had some good, he had some decent trap runs in the first half where they were kind of doing the pulling linemen uh, to the wide side. Tennessee adjusted to that in the second half. I did think South Carolina missed the speed that Rico Dowdle had. I mean, he you know, he gave Tennessee some problems a year ago, rushing, I think, for almost 150 yards. And so not having him back there uh, was at least, you know, countering, obviously, Tennessee getting Middleton ejected. And, uh, you know, that was a, a sore spot for, for South Carolina not having one of their better I, playmakers. Two weeks, I mean, not two weeks in a row, because, I mean, I, take Alabama out of the equation. And, and Tennessee was good. I mean, they were great, but they were good on the ground against the run in that game. But, I mean, they dominated Mississippi State. They dominated South Carolina. They held both those teams to under three yards per carry. I, that's just a level of play I didn't think that we'd see from this front seven. I was surprised South Carolina. They tried to attack with the slants, but they didn't really try to do anything else play-action-wise in the middle of the field, which I would, you know, to try to get Tennessee's linebackers to, to suck up. Uh, I, didn't, I, I was surprised McClendon didn't attack that way. I thought that allowed Tennessee's linebackers to play in the middle of the field to play well. You look at Warriors' numbers, 10 tackles. Batuli had a career night with 15. 14 in the um, first half. You know, and then you look at what, what Henry did with eight tackles and was much more sound. They didn't seem to try to pick on the middle of the field. Other than, other than the slants that Tennessee was playing a lot of man on, you know, man-to-man -man coverage on. They didn't do some other stuff in the middle of the field that we've seen some other teams do, didn't it? No, and that, that did surprise me a little bit. I also, part of the reason I thought Tennessee was going to win this game is, is for as much as everyone was excited about Holinsky at the beginning of the season and talking about Jake Bentley transferring and all this because Holinsky threw for 350 yards against Charleston Southern or whoever, he's got some limitations. And he showed he was not accurate on at Saturday. All. Especially yeah. in the second half. Now, I'm not saying receivers were running wide open. They weren't. No, I, you know, I gave a lot of kudos, and I think it doesn't show up in the box score because he didn't have a million tackles. But Sean Schamberger was fantastic at times. Best, as good as he, as he well as up, he's played in coverage. He, yeah, he gave up a slant on that drive that they did score the Edwards touchdown at the end of the first half. But other than that, I think PFF had it. Uh, by my count, I think he gave up two catches. I think PFF said it was only two of nine targets against him. I mean, that's good, and that's those are throws in the middle of the field. Uh, some of those. So, but I, I just. I'm not impressed with Holinsky, and I think that there's some limitations there in what South Carolina is able and, to do. And Shepard was, I mean, came up and mixed it up, and yeah, he had the big, he had the big too, stop on that third down, which I run. thought was a great call, third defensive down, yeah. call, I mean, little run, little run blitz there. He's, I mean, he, he played very well. Yeah, he, he certainly played better. And again, a little bit easier not to not take anything away from the defense, but. South Carolina doesn't threaten you vertically down the field. You know, I mean, that was a great catch by Edwards, but they they just don't. Muschamp keeps talking about how they got to get more explosive offensively. They just don't have that in their arsenal, really, to, to be to be and, explosive. And Tennessee's had those years where they didn't have guys that could that's certainly vertical. I mean, I think every team does it. Just kind of, you know, you miss a recruiting cycle and don't have a guy develop, and all of a sudden you don't have anybody that can that can get that done. Um, I mean, I just go back the the you know, front end, back end. You know, Batuli and, and and what Henry are getting done. Nigel's play. You know, I mean, that, you know, Tim Priest asked him what I thought was a pretty good question in the, in the post game when basically he said you weren't very good, and all of a sudden you are. I mean, like in a nice, polite way. Right. I mean, like just and, and Nigel kind of talking about finding his passion for the game again 
Is it that simple that, that you just kind of you 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 either fall in love with it or find your purpose again? Well, I think I mean I think when you don't have success, which goes back to learning how to win, you know, and, right? I mean, you, in, in your culture, when you don't have success and you have a turnover, I mean, then you know I don't know how well he and Coach Kelly meshed, and was, there's been turnover in those positions and. Look, he's in a contract year. It's the last year. Always, a lot of times seniors show up and play better in your, in your last year. But he's playing with more confidence than he's ever I, played, which is allowing him to play fast. I mean, this may be oversimplifying it, but I just don't think Bob Shoup was a good fit for him, the way Bob Shoup coaches. I, mean, I think Bob Shoup's a good coach, but he's, I mean, I think so technical. And, I mean, I think the way Jeremy, the, I think the, pat, the way Jeremy wears his heart on the sleeve, the way he connects with kids, I, I think that's, it, I think that's really helped. Un- Nigel will kind of unlock his his potential. He's playing well. I mean, I'm not saying he's going to line up on Sundays for anybody next year, but he's got no. But he's putting, he's putting himself into up. a better position yeah. for that. He, and I and I did. Th- there's probably also some truth to the fact that uh, he was able to kind of take enough lumps and make enough mistakes that with the people around him, he had some security in his position. There, he, like, it, it, right. he wasn't going to lose his job. And right. so I think maybe once he realized that, because that was part of the deal with Shoup, is that Shoup didn't have faith in him. Right. So he wasn't playing as much. So when he made a mistake, he came right off the field. And so in the last two years, it hadn't really been like that. And so then once you kind of maybe breathe a little bit and then take some of that coaching, and he's obviously getting fantastic you know, I mean, Ansley and Pruitt are considered two of the best, you know, better defensive back coaches in the country. You kind of add that combination. I think now we're kind of seeing some of that talent come to fruition. Yeah, it's uh, he's playing well. A lot of guys on this team playing well. The question is, can that continue? The can, Bush Jones All Stars, man, they're showing <laughs> Bush out. Jones orphans, come on. <laughs> you know, they're um, can that continue? Can they continue to grow the back half of the season and in the last month of the season? We'll talk more about that as uh, uh, we head into the into the game day on Saturday and head into this the month of November. A uh, lot of positives, a lot of things going well. Tennessee's got to get healthy. Um, th- this is a tough stretch for them, and we'll see how healthy they can get, and, and that'll be determined as the week progresses. While everything's well on the field, Austin, you and Jesse have been talking about how Tennessee needs a win. They need wins to help them on the recruiting front. They get a win. They lose a commitment in <laughs> B.J. Olajar, which sounds like he was never really committed. But they had a good number of prospects in. We've got a date for Jay Hardy now when he may do when he's going to do something. Omari Thomas was in. What's the what's the overriding takeaway from the weekend for Tennessee and recruiting? Well, I told you Saturday night that it wasn't going to happen this week, but it was imminent on Jay Hardy. Yeah, um, you did. I just couldn't give the kids' date away. Uh, you know, he did it for you. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> he tweeted it out for I you. I know. He took care of business. <laughs> Go ahead. Right on cue. Um, you know, t- Tennessee's, and I thought, you know, outside of BJ, and, and, you know, Jesse's right. I mean, when, when Eric Gilbert committed to LSU in a shocker in the middle of last week, it really sent shockwaves into the BJ's recruitment because all of a sudden LSU became way more of a factor. Um, you know, and then for a team that Tennessee beat out, yeah, back in April, yeah, and and suddenly there was a, a recalibration there. I think. And they're so also Ojalari's one of the hottest camp. teams in the country on the field. I mean, and he's much closer to Gilbert than he is Bailey. Yes, yeah, you know, no doubt about it. And so, you know, but outside of that, I don't think Saturday could have went any better for Tennessee. When you talk about having Barron here, and and and, and Tyler's kind of been guarded, but even he's tweeting. You know, after the game about kneeling rocking, you had obviously Jay's going to do something next Wednesday. Uh, Big O, uh, you know, to me it's still it, – it's this is going to come down to Tennessee and Ole Miss. I think Tennessee it will, have, it, it will have done everything they can do. 
And to getting land the family here was huge. Getting the family, getting the sister who goes to Ole Miss, but she's going to be going into dental school here soon. So it's not like she's going to be necessarily at Ole Miss when he's there. Um, you know, I, I think you know the way it all played out. It could not have went any better. Tyu Jones Bell. I, I think Tennessee. You know, if they can get him up here for an unofficial visit that last weekend they're going to have a real shot at him. I mean, they're in a, they're kind of in a sneaky good spot right now. Now the question is, does he go to Alabama that first weekend in December and then they shut it down and he trips nowhere that last weekend? Or does he make it back up here? If he makes it back up here, I think the Vols will have a, have a real shot to, you know. His mama's not so sold on Alabama. Yeah, make that happen. Here's the deal. It, the win Saturday, where did they struggle? I mean, they, they were able to throw the deep ball. They ran for 130 yards. They got hurries and, 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 and sacks. And, and, and then, uh, you know, obviously special teams. So, I mean, like, it's not – I mean, the whole team, you know, if you're a defensive lineman, you felt good about it. If you're a receiver, you felt good about it. I mean, it, it, to me, it was a win-win-win across the board with, with what you got done in front of the kids, you know, that were there Saturday. And we go back to – I mean – to circle this a little bit back to the team, you, you look at the Butch Jones orphans or whatever, a lot of these guys making plays are, are probably not going to be here next year. And so there is still, you're selling <clears throat> development and progress, but you also can still pitch. To, We're going to have some opportunities. To, to, to Jones Bell, hey, look, the two guys who caught all the balls, yeah. the D-balls, they're not here. Yeah. That could be you, yeah. right? So you got a selling point that yeah, way. And so, and so there is, there, it, it's kind of the best of both worlds. Now, obviously, Jeremy would would not like to be as young as they might be next year. But that, you know, that's just how, that's just college football sometimes. So uh, I do think that that's kind of, because you can't, there's a, you know, we've talked about before, you can't just constantly sell hope if you don't show development or progress. Now they're kind of showing both of those things two of the last three weeks with Mississippi State and South Carolina and even, and even, you know, punching back at Alabama. And and the one guy we didn't, I didn't just touch on, and I think he's a very interesting prospect, Jimmy Holiday. You know, Tennessee's telling him he'd get a shot at quarterback, and I'm sure, you know, he's going to be an early enrollee. He'd get the spring to prove he can play there, you know. And if he don't, you know, prove he can play there, he then Tennessee would, you know, likely move him to, to receiver uh, where, you know, a lot of schools think he's going to end up being. Even TCU selling him the same thing. Um, the Mississippi schools tell him straight receiver. But, I mean, he's, he's special with the ball in his hands. And, you know, not, not, I'm not claiming he's Juwan because I think he's a different type player. But the point is, is when you've played the quarterback position, guys that make that change, you know, Julian Edelman. I mean, there, there's just an advantage to, to, to being a very smart player. And, and you know, the kid's extremely smart uh, from a football um, knowledge standpoint. And so uh, Tennessee really likes Jimmy Holiday a lot. So, I mean, like Holiday, Tyu Jones-Bell, to go along with Jalen Hyatt and Jimmy Calloway. You know, they're, 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 you know, the two guys they got, Hyatt and Callaway, are guys that Tennessee desperately wants to hold on to. They don't have to worry about Hyatt. He's good. But obviously, you know, Jimmy Callaway somebody that, you know, Kentucky's, you know, calling. Georgia's at least expressed a little bit of interest, at least, you know, to kick the tires a little bit and maybe rattle Tennessee's cage. But, again, Tennessee's throwing the ball vertical. Yep. They're explosive plays, things that receivers are – are all about and, and, and are intriguing to receivers. It's got to be certainly a help. So some momentum for Tennessee coming out of the recruiting weekend. Again, Jay Hardy to do something on November 6th. Uh, we'll see what they do this weekend in terms of visitors coming in. We'll have more on that at the end of the week. But when, when you had the, the atmosphere you had on in the stands, the product you put out on the field and the people that you had in town for Tennessee on what is their last biggest weekend of the season recruiting-wise, yeah, because you're not going to bring a bunch of people in 
probably down the stretch. Well, you're not going to bring anybody. I don't think any, anybody in. I mean, maybe the Kyrie Miller kid who was not able to make it in because of a, a health deal in the family. Um, he might make it in this weekend or at Vanderbilt just for a game because he lives in Texas, so they like to have him come in for a game. But everybody else, we're going to try to bring in in those first couple of weeks of December, which is smart because, I mean, you get a lot more time with the player and the prospect when it's not a visit, when it's not a game day weekend, you know, and you don't have to, like, be, you know, managing your team for right. several hours and then cramming it all well, into you a small Well, I think mound. you also look at the board and that if – if some of these guys drop the way we think they're going to – not let me drop, like you pop mean, the way yeah. we think they're going to pop, suddenly Tennessee can be much more selective because there's only going to be – there's only so many spots available. And right. and obviously part of the reason – now, Thayu Bell-Jones is a guy they've gone after for a while now anyways, but you're, you've seen kind of a pivot. Well, let's prioritize – we think we got a better shot with him than we do Rakeem Jarrett. You know, so you, you start making those decisions – and then you can have those we, those weekends, the couple weekends before signing day in December, where you bring in kind of those last hammer guys, you know, to, to try to get where it's kind of all about them for that for you know for those forty eight hours. For the final end season recruiting, big recruiting weekend. Obviously, it went very well for tennis for for Tennessee on a variety of fronts. Speaking of going well for Tennessee, Rick Barnes just lines up top talent and just says, "Hey, come on in and check us out." Two big time prospects in for them. Uh, on all over the weekend, Rob continue to hear the same theme, like his st- coaching style, like player development, like the chemistry on the on the basketball. Yeah, and, and it's incredible to think about, and on the heels of what's you know the, the arguably the best class in, in, in school history with you know Jaden Springer number fourteen, Keon Johnson number eighteen. They just had two kids on campus in the twenty twenty one class that are ranked higher than either one of those guys. I mean, pay, or Paolo Bancaro. It, I'd have to go back and look, but I would say he's probably the highest rated, most talented basketball prospect Tennessee has ever hosted on an official visit. I mean, he's number two in that class right now. Could easily end up being ranked number one. He'll be in the discussion for it over the, over the next you know, spring and summer. And then, um, you know, Kennedy Chandler, the point guard, five-star point guard from out of Memphis. That's one where, you know, Tennessee people here, uh, Memphis, you know, he's, he's not going anywhere. I wouldn't, I wouldn't count on that. I'm not saying he's coming to Tennessee. And, and there's a long way to go for both of these kids, don't get me wrong, but, but just in Kennedy Chandler's case, he, he is not a lot to Memphis at all. I mean, Memphis is going to be involved for sure, but, but he's open to, to moving, you know, to, to looking elsewhere, and he's going to have every option in the country. I mean, the, Kentucky's been in to see him. Duke's been in to see him. Uh, North Carolina. I mean, he's going he's gonna to be one of those, those kind of dudes. And Tennessee it was one of the first ones in there. I mean, they went and saw him several times as a sophomore, offered him early. And getting him on campus right now, that was his first official visit. That was big. Now, you know, I'm not suggesting Tennessee is going to get either one of those kids. It's but people that are following it know Ben Caro has taken four official visits. The other three are to Kentucky, Duke, North Carolina. He's got one scheduled in January for Gonzaga. You're talking about, you know, four, four schools right there that have won national championships in the last decade. So they're up against it, but he loved what he heard. I mean, you heard, I mean, Rick, Rick pulled the Kevin Durant card out this weekend, <laughs> talked about, you know. Play the old Kevin Durant he card. talked about can. how, you know, how he used him, how he wouldn't. I mean, and what, what Paolo told me that, that he really liked was like Coach Barnes told me he wasn't going to put me on the low blocks and have me play with my bat at the basket. He was going to get me the ball all over the court, let me make plays. And, I mean, that resonated. So, we'll see. I mean, I, I think Tennessee's going to be involved. I mean, I thought it was a long shot before this weekend. You know, I'm not now they're going to punch a shot. Yeah, I'm not saying Tennessee's got you know the team to beat by any means, but I, I think they're going to be in there. I mean, I think he and his family both really like it. Now, the thing you have to fight, in addition to all the other big-time schools, is he's from Seattle. Mom and Dad both went to Washington. He is assuredly just a one-and-done player. 
you know, do you if you really want to pick up and move across the country when you're only going to be somewhere six months, seven months? And with Gonzaga, you know, right there, two hours away, also an option. So, I mean, I, that that's going to be something to watch. But but Tennessee made an impact this weekend. So I mean, I, I think you'll see Tennessee stay involved with both of those guys. Be interesting to see how that plays out for sure. But. Uh, what, what, a, what a different place Tennessee's at in recruiting right now in basketball. It's just pretty phenomenal. Speaking of this basketball team, they're going to take the floor on Wednesday, Wednesday night. What do you expect? What are you looking to see out of this team tomorrow night? Uh, I just, I mean, how, how they play. I mean, line, I mean I, Rick will play a bunch of different lineups, but I just kind of want to see, you know, what do they look like without, I mean, they're not going to be able to play through Grant Williams anymore. How do, you know, how offensively kind of what's the thing? Defensively, w with a smaller lineup, where I think you're going to be playing more, you know, six six type guys. You don't have the luxury of Kyle Alexander as a rim protector. Do you do you look to extend more? Do you look to pressure more? And you know, what's what's a guard oriented Rick off, Rick offense look like? And how healthy are they going to be? Yeah, uh, Josiah practiced last last Friday. He has, he has not been. You know, he's, they've been very careful with him. He didn't take part in the scrimmage against Davidson. Didn't get back on the court until last week. So essentially, he's been shut down for like three weeks. I mean, he's been working. I mean, he's not been. And he's not a, a tear or anything like that. But they've been very careful because they don't want to Lamonte. Turner situation where you know the shoulder thing lingered last year, so he, he came back, um, and, and that's that's a big thing to watch. Devonte Gaines can be limited, broken thumb a few weeks ago. He's still got some kind of apparatus on his hand, but he's a guy that I think is going to be in the rotation. But getting Josiah back on the court is big. Big. Curious to see what this team looks like. I think that there's a lot of excitement. There's a lot of unknowns. A lot of intrigue about this basketball team. You won't learn a lot Wednesday night, but you will get your first chance to take a look at some of these guys and, as Rob mentioned, try to figure out style of play, sort of what this team's going to evolve and look in, look like as they head into the, the season, um, which will get cranked up in earnest here in a few weeks. But, again, take it to the court, and uh, first game action will take place on Wednesday night. We've got plenty of football coverage, plenty of basketball coverage, plenty of recruiting coverage for you, and plenty of discussion of it all at the general school. So that's going to do it for this edition of the VolQuest.com podcast. For Jesse Simonton, Austin Price, and Rob Lewis, I'm Brent Hubbs. Thanks for joining us. Have a great rest of your Tuesday, everybody.